0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Cycle Jerks Podcast, Episode Forty Five. Got Mike Stewart here in Livermore, California, as well as myself, and we're hanging out this morning with Mike Franzi down at Fullerton Bicycles. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us this morning. The pleasure. And uh, it's been really cool. I, I probably say this every every show, but it's it's this is true. Uh, every time Mike uh, brings us somebody, and he always talks talks them up about like uh, who these people are. And we've been been—we've already heard some stories in the off podcast about you. So we're going to see if you live up to, to Mike's stories. Well, well, Stewie's
1: a beast, so it's going to be really hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's my, am, hero. Am,
1: I, am I top five, Mike? Oh, mandatory. <laughs> no, no question about it. You are yeah. a top fiver. Anybody yeah. that does a million feet two years in a row and has <laughs> knee surgery, you're godfathered in, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It
2: was four years, but that's okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, Francie, listen, I am so, so excited to have you on the show. Uh, you uh, are such a wild man, and you know when, I, just I didn't realize that I actually knew you long before I actually met you, and I okay. knew you from the BMX days. Uh, I used to have a, I had a, you posted a picture recently. I think it was maybe in your stories or something because I couldn't find it in your feed. But I had a picture of you on my cork board Hmm. when I was a kid. And um, I had, I had, there was a picture of you, although I don't remember your name. I I don't, I don't remember being Mike Franzi. But I do, I remember, I remember that picture. And then also, uh, there was trash can. Morgan was up there. You remember? Right. Him? Yep. With the, with the big, uh, construction boots on doing something crazy. Yep. I yes. always thought that was re- really weird. And then, uh, and I had the ripper. So I had okay. like, and then I had some other people too, you know, but, uh, sure. those are my SoCal, SoCal yeah. people. And then, uh, then I meet you in the bike business and, uh, you know, we've just struck an immediate connection and, I had no idea that you were that guy on my corkboard all those wow. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Can, so can the uh, podcast
1: see the tear in my eye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's serious. Uh,
2: so how did that? How did you come to be one of those guys in the um, in the BMX? It was a BMX action, I believe, but also yeah. BMX plus back in the day.
1: Correct. So the story goes, and I've told it before, was I built. Back in the 80s, I built a track um, in my local neighborhood, and we called it Parks BMX. It was behind Parks Junior High School. And I still ride my bike there today on part of our Fullerton Loop Mountain Bike Trail. So back then I built it. And you know, we were kids and it just got word of mouth. And we got some, you know, celebrities started to come out there. We had, you know, Perry Kramer, we had Greg Hill, we had Stu Thompson, we had Eric Carter. Uh, We had Tommy uh, Brackens. We had Mike Miranda. So, you know, word got out. And then what would happen would be the magazine, you know, BMX Plus and uh, BMXA or BMX Action, you know, would go out for tests to do, you know, the new red line test or the new whatever bike came out that was hot. And that became kind of a local feeding ground for the magazines to use during testing time. So obviously, I was the local, I built everything there, so I could ride that place with my eyes closed. So um, it started with Dean Bradley. He came out one day and said, Hey, dude, um, would you like to do some test writing for me? Now, granted, I'm a 16, 15 year old kid. I'm going to be in BMX Plus Magazine. Like, you got to be kidding me. You know, yeah. so That's kind of where, where it started. And it's ironic, Dean Bradley, who is a top fiver as well, Mikey. Um, He'll still post photos. He'll still pull up like an old flashback photo. Guy's an archive genius when it comes to photography. So I always hit him up like, dude, when is the book coming out? So he posts on Facebook a lot and I always chime in. When's the book? Like he's got so he can make a a brilliant book. Man's talented. Oh, so that's where that started. And I did four or five good test articles with Dean Bradley. And I did one with John Tomac was in it. Uh, you know, Malem Abrams, well, way back. Uh, there was quite a few quite a few guys that were test riders, and I was one of them. And then BMX Action came out there frequently and did tests with Gork, uh, Wendy, and even Oz. And one day, you know, I knew Gork from parks, and then I knew him from racing at a semi-top level in the 16 expert class. Um, I was no Pete Longkerovich. I was no, you know top rated pro but I could you know I could hang and maybe make a main with Billy Griggs and guys and yeah. they hit me up one day and said we're doing an article called local thrashing would you like to be a part of that because parks is kind of iconic I said oh well of course so one Saturday morning Wendy shows up and we do this radical photo shoot I got that famous photo with the red jeans doing the super x up where the bars yeah. are behind my legs and that kind of struck my fame spot. You know, I mean, it's, it's still pretty cool to this day. And if you Google BMX action parks, red jean photo, I think that photo pops open. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool.
0: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it is.
2: Well, you know uh, so up here in NoCal, you know, we all had uh, like a little chip on our shoulder about everybody down in SoCal because SoCal, was where the magazines were and socal was where all the all the run was happening for anybody that rode like we felt like we had in norcal we felt like we had we had something equally as good as you had down in socal and so anytime any of the socals would come up here we always had a little something extra you know we extra in the way that we want to roll out the red carpet and show them like all the rad stuff but also extra when the gate dropped you know, we wanted to let them know like, Hey, we're, we're for real up here too. You know? So, uh, yeah, but, uh, I had a place, uh, we had a place here in town called the Creek and that was like our, that was like, I worked in the Creek all the time. Uh, you know, I was just building jumps and, and one time we had, um, we had an ABA grants ABA grand national or something out here and it drew everybody. And, uh, It was at the rodeo grounds but we but we basically orchestrated to get everybody down to the creek that day and uh man i'll never forget that day we had you know a lot of the names you dropped already uh you know everybody was at my spot you know the jumps and hitting all the stuff and doing stuff in some cases that i could i'd never did you know like it was just like it was it was just nuts and, uh, that was, that was a great, uh, great weekend, but, uh, okay. Wait a minute. Yeah.
1: You said, you just said something. You didn't jump. I've seen the picture of you flat on a cycle cross bike. So don't give me that BS. <laughs> you were being well,
2: humble like always. <laughs> well, I'd always, i jump them, but I couldn't do some of the stuff, you know, like, uh, yeah. Ronnie, uh, Ronnie was there, uh, you know, yeah, another you guys North Al a- legend
1: a big scene up there. You had Charlie Townsend, Greg Romero, you had the Anderson Brothers, the Patterson Brothers. Uh, We used to call it the NorCal Pole, you know. Uh, You got some power up there out of NorCal. Livermore, Rosewood, Bob Madrino, Frank. Yeah, there was a lot of guys when I was growing up that, you know, came out of NorCal. I remember the scene very well, and I think even in that GT video, like they had the NorCal Pole sauce and Greg Romero. That's right. uh, Yeah, no, I remember it well. Part of my life.
0: So, yeah, I got to yeah. ask you since both you guys, since I was more of a, I'm a little younger than Mike. Uh, I grew up in Livermore and I was one of those kids finding those jumps that Mike was building and eating shit on it and and die, <laughs> <laughs> crashing and coming home with scars and blood and, and road burn and whatever. But um, what was that? Was there a competitive, like, was it friendly competitive or was it a little angsty as far as like the NorCal, SoCal guys against each other?
2: Well, for I mean, me, it was uh, a, go, go ahead, ahead, Mikey. Okay, so uh, I would say I think the NorCal guys cared about it more than the SoCal guys because the SoCal guys were get in the magazines and like those magazines that was all there was. And when they came, it was cover to cover. I read every every single thing in that magazine. And so, and as a NorCal kid, you wanted to be, have that kind of coverage for our scene, but it just wasn't happening. So I feel like. Probably to SoCal, they're probably like, yeah, whatever. These guys in NoCal, you know, they they got a cool thing going on. But uh, we had a little chip on our shoulder, I think, just because the magazine was headquartered there. And I love, and I love the magazine. Don't get me wrong. And uh, and like you said, Dean Bradley and uh, Wendy, and I mean, just everybody associated with the magazines back in the day. Um, yeah, I had just respect and love for them. But uh, but like I said, that's what I, we had a little something extra when the gate dropped. I think it all stemmed from that. uh, Yeah, it all stemmed from all the coverage that the SoCal guys were getting. How
1: about for you? You know, um, I didn't do a lot of the NorCal SoCal, but yeah, you were right. There was always that chip NorCal. Nothing against the guys up there; they were all you know equally as fast. And I can remember you know Charlie or Greg Romero would win a main or something. It was kind of like feather in the cap for the NorCal guys. But you know, besides that let's go back and just look at like that time in our life. Like how awesome was that? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. BMX riding bikes. I mean, Mikey, I know you and I came from the same pool. Like how many hours did you spend thumbing through that magazine? You couldn't wait to go to the seven 11 and buy it. Or I yep. even had the subscription delivered to my house. And I knew about yep. every 30 days and you know, it was, and it's sad to see like that's, that's gone, you know, and even in like, you know, everything's digital and iPhones and all that stuff. But, know it was just so awesome like i can remember and i'm sure we're like again we're we're from the same we're same blood you get home from school and you couldn't get home fast enough to eat a yogurt get a granola bar and hop on your bike right and yeah go to the i go to parks and it was every single day and we just ride and ride and i'd be like okay I could do two more laps before this. I had a watch, you know, and mom's like, you got to be home at 5.30, Mike. And I would like moto and gate, and jump until 5.27 because I can make it home in three minutes. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm saddened to say that I don't see that today in the kids in this society that we're growing up with. But I'm so blessed. I've been a part of that, you know, yeah. the core of BMX. And it's funny. I was talking to a gentleman the other day about BMX, and it's like all these new kids in the sports, you know, elevated. Like, they yeah. don't know who Greg Hill is or Stu Thompson or any of the hit, like, they don't even care. And I just, right. I think it's sad because you and I love road bikes and we love all these other sports that cycling's evolved. But I think it's cool to learn about Ned Overton and John Tomac and learn the history of the Tour de France. And, you know, and I, yeah. I think that's, part of our heritage as guys in our fifties and have a love for cycling and we matured, right? I mean, I don't care if you ride a BMX bike, a cyclocross bike. I just think it's awesome to see people mature from BMX to to road bikes, Tour de France or mountain biking or gravity, you know, like your son. It's that's, that that's, that's really
2: something special. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I, I think the, the fact that there was really only a couple sources of information. And so it made it a lot more, um, uh, I don't know. It's just like you had to be really into it. You were not going to run into BMX randomly. Like, like now yeah. you get on your phone and you kind of roll through the feeds and then all of a sudden you'll see somebody on a BMX bike flipping through the air, you know? Yep. But back then, the only way to get it was BMX action or BMX plus. That was it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of made it that much more special, but, but I will say I love what I see today with the riders today, the skill level, the, like I send. I think I send you, I repost a lot of it flatland. Cause I did flatland after my racing. Yeah. And man, the flatland, the, the sport is just unreal. I can't even, I can't even, I mean, I spent hours doing stuff that I couldn't even think of what they're doing right now. That's, you sure. know, like I had all these ideas in my head, like, Oh, it'd be cool if I could do this or I could do that. But I didn't even have the idea, the possibility of thinking of what they're doing right. because it's just so extreme now. And, um, you know, in yeah, a way, those guys are gifted. Yeah. In a way I though, it's, it's like, maybe it's, you know, they don't have to be history buffs. Maybe maybe the fact that they're just coming at it like completely clean and from a different place altogether, maybe that kind of feeds it. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. I, I I mean, I love our history for sure. And to your point, yeah, I feel super blessed to have that as part of my childhood and so many – oh, my gosh, so many days, so many uh, – I mean, the shovel and the bike, the shovel <laughs> and the bike. You know, it yeah. was just – yeah every day just yeah hours upon hours yeah i w- i wasn't I 3 agreed. minutes away though i was a good i was a good 20 minutes away uh that's okay. it's okay yeah so i had to uh and i had the same thing i had to be home and i would have the full tri- the 20 minute sprint that that may have helped my racing career that's <laughs> why that's on why <laughs>
1: that's yeah. why you can that's why you climb so that's why you climb so good but yeah, yeah. and i would i would agree mikey like the flatland scene like today I still follow it like you do and you must, you have to respect those guys because I can barely walk to gum and take my hands off the handlebar. And these guys, <laughs> yeah. you know, like remember Eddie Fiola they were a little bit more of the dirt freestyle trick ramp. But like when you went to the hardcore Trevor Myers of the world, like, yeah. And they would do, what would be cool would be like, we would do this thing. We called it the beach Boulevard national. Okay. So from my house to Huntington beach was about 20 miles so oh. I would get up, you know, and I would ride my BMX bike down Beach Boulevard, and the curbs were rad. You know, it's so like we we the light would turn red, and we'd spread across the street and bunny hop the curb and hit this curb and jump. It was I can remember. But we would go to Huntington <laughs> Beach, and there was a section where like all the Flatlanders would ride, and Fiola was there, Martin Eparijo. But I watched that dude. He rode for GT Trevor Meyer. I think he still rides today a little bit. He does. I mean, yeah, the the guy like you said it was it was beyond imaginable what they could do and today the way they spin
2: it's they're gifted athletes no two ways about it yeah 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 it's incredible and i mean you take that that's one of the things about bmx when when you and i grew up bmx was racing and jumping and and then then it kind of splintered into all these different things you know then then came the ramp then came the park and then flatland There's just a street and now, uh, you know, it's hard to really, it's not the same at all because there's just so many different fragments of it. One thing that I do, I don't know about you, but one thing that really does bother me though, it's like a lot of the street videos, uh, they don't, the kids don't wear helmets or the, or the men don't wear helmets and, uh, and they even show the slams. And a lot of times they just crack that head right on the cement. And it's like, it's just, uh, uh, to me, it's just wrong that they don't, that they don't wear helmets. But No, yeah. uh, what, absolutely. What you...
1: you know, there was um, what the rider, Mikey Aiken, I believe he had some pretty oh, yeah. gnarly crash. And we went to a, <laughs> this is no lie, I went to a special event for him down in Irvine where we did some donations and they had all the, all the brass was there riding. And these guys are putting on an exhibition with no helmet. Yeah. We're doing an event for a guy who basically could be brain dead and yet, the guys doing the event aren't wearing the helmet. Like, I I agree, hundred percent.
2: Safety first. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. It's part of the culture, though. I think that you know, it stems from the, you know, like skate, like a little bit skate and BMX were always kind of linked back in our day, and it was kind of a a punk rock thing to do. Uh, you know, you could either play baseball and and football, or or you could ride a BMX bike, and that was just kind of like a it was punk rock back in the day to do that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if that has something to do with it. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's unfortunate. I, and I, but here I am being super hypocritical because when I rode back in the day, I never wore a helmet either. I only wore a helmet on race day. I was going to say, exactly. I, saw a pic-
0: I got saw plenty of pictures of Mike sent me of him in the air, 20 feet crossing up and he's got no helmet hair flow. And no sometimes <laughs> just, yeah. sometimes just shorts and slip on vans. <laughs>
1: yeah. That was yeah, it. No, OP yeah. cords, bands, yeah. <laughs> no socks, and that was it. Cut off. I got a picture somewhere. It's like I'm in my underwear getting all sideways. Um, <laughs> and it's the same thing, you know? Yeah, yeah we were – but God bless us. We survived it. But, yeah, you know, and the sports changed. The guys go way bigger, way higher, way farther. So, yeah. you know, and we were fortunate that we never, you know, had a, any injuries to the head that would substantiate to, you know, problems today. I'm aware of. Yeah. What did you say? All right,
2: well, okay, <laughs> yeah, what was
1: that? Uh, I was going to say uh, okay, real quick, cool. oh, say yeah.
0: uh, the parallels, I just watched Tony Hawk's uh, documentary that came out last yeah. couple of weeks ago, and I feel like there's some parallels in BMX world because that came from the same time, the skateboard world and so the SoCal scene, and I yep. uh, feel like, you know, when I listen to the stories of the BMX guys and stuff, there's guy, there was this one guy in, in that that documentary that was still pretty damn bitter that, you know, Tony was getting all this uh, pub and he looks like a homeless guy now and stuff. And he's still trying to live that, that skater dream of whatever that may be. Is that still kind of, is there some parallels between the BMX thing and, and, and that kind of thing that from that same time zone, would you say with some guys that are still kind of like, I don't want to say that we grew up because I still feel like I haven't grown up. But you guys are—you yeah, guys own businesses, you're—you're—and you're, everything like that. You've seen these people, how the mentality is. Do you see some people that uh, maybe kind of still are kind of stuck in that world of 1980,
1: 1981, BMX style? Yeah, you know, like obviously, we'll move forward as you know, a bike shop owner. I'll get these customers come in and. They'll, they're into the vintage, the old BMX of the 80s. And yeah, they're still kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but it's like they're still trying to live that dream of, you know, and they tell these stories and they're not really, God, it's a, it's a tough one to explain. But yeah, I would agree. Like you get this guy, you know, and oh, I used to do this, and do, do this, and do this. You're like, you know, and I won this race. And the funniest story was this dude comes in six or seven years ago Perry Kramer was my giant bicycles inside our sales associate, <laughs> and this guy's telling PK, who's got a lot of knowledge about bicycling and BMX, he's been around, he's a legend. Um, oh, I used to beat PK and Stu back in '77 at this track, and blah 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 blah. Well, PK's standing right there, right, <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know he's PK. So the guy Perry's very humble; he just does his thing. The guy walks out, and PK is like, "That guy's a moron." I didn't even race that track in 77. <laughs> didn't even race there. Like, he didn't even call him out. But th- the point is, yeah. yeah, you know, we all how, you know well, what do they say? You're only as good as you were yesterday, or a washed up has been. The older I get, the better
2: I was, or the better <laughs> yeah. the stories become.
0: That's hilarious. Well, uh,
2: I have wow. a quick story about this guy who was uh mm-hmm. he was the giant rep out in my area, and I was I was working for GT at the time, and we're at this sale. Uh, at Hank and Frank bikes in, uh, in Lafayette. And, uh, he's telling everybody about, he's this national champion BMX racer, uh, from back in the day. And so then I just start, I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, when did you race? And I start asking him some questions because I have no idea who he is. I've never heard him before. You know, I don't know this person and he's a national champ BMXer. What? You know, so I start, <laughs> I started asking him, well, as it turns out, as I drill down with my questions, he's realizing like he's in deep trouble because he's just said something to the wrong person. You know, that's false. Uh, probably something that he's been getting away with saying for years. And uh, and I started asking him, I said, well, what organization were you with? Uh, you know, uh, and then uh, which, tr- you know, where was the Where was the national champs at? And. What year was it? And, you know, just some real basic questions. He was having a hard time. And then it, as it turns out, what he said was it was just at a local track and uh, it was in beginner class. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I still – the story was suspect at that level, but I just let it go at that point. <laughs> but but anyway, but, yeah, you meet some real characters out there. And and to Mike's point, you know, the older we get, the better we were. Um, but, hey – Listen, all that, the past was amazing, for sure, for both of us. And we're really grateful for it. But absolutely, your, your life today is, is uh, what a lot of us young BMX kids dreamed about, right? Owning our own shop. Uh, I know that was a dream for me. It didn't happen for me. But it may still happen one day. Who knows? But, um, but you have not one, not two, but now you have three shops. Uh, and you're crushing, crushing the game. Mama's driving a Tesla. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so how did that all how did that all come to be
1: you know um like like anything um you know you have visions of a kid and you never really know where you're gonna land up right i mean you go to school you got a job you know my goal my 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 vision initially was in college was like i'm gonna be an architect i, w- I love to draw i love that you know prospect of architectural that that didn't work out because i went to a trade school my father came out of independent business, uh, he owned grocery stores, so I was working for him. And, you know, I, I just didn't know, you know, what I wanted to do. My dad was an old school guy, he was definitely one of the greatest, hardest working, most respectful man to walk the face of the earth. Everybody loved my father. He had a way with humans and people, he knew how to make people feel good. So I followed in his footsteps, um, was going to school, riding bikes. You know, wasn't going to become the next uh, Pete Long but I think that was okay. Kind of realized my BMX days were kind of numbered and just kind of was on my path. I ended up finding jet skis. My dad ended up selling his grocery store businesses. He had an offer that he couldn't refuse, kind of like, uh, you know, Mike's Bikes type thing. And um, I was 16, 17, and I was okay because I wanted my dad to enjoy his life. And he's like, hey. If I sell the store, Mike, you know, are you cool? Because I was going to maybe take it over. I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm 16, you know. I'm going to live my life. So I started working yeah. at Albertsons, you know, in the grocery store industry. I realized that becoming an architect, I was already making more money as a clerk than I would as an apprentice in the architect world. And to be honest, I, school wasn't my deal, man. I had, I had a little form of dyslexia. And I'm, I couldn't focus past, you know, my teacher because I'm thinking about my BMX bike or go to the jumps <laughs> and gone, you know. <laughs> just, you know, a different time in life. So I bailed out of school, um, spent two years in a junior college on and off working on Albertsons. And um, I really liked what I did. I liked being a part of that, made some great friends. I was still kind of riding BMX and bought a jet ski and I was doing that whole thing. And, you know, it just it just one thing led to another. So I end up fast forward. Um, I end up Kind of checking out of the bike scene, I start racing some jet skis, hanging out. Met you know Victor Sheldon. We all know who that guy is in the bike world. We become yeah. friends. I'm I'm racing jet skis, having fun. It's an expensive sport, and I um, end up kind of figuring out like, well, what am I going to do here? You know, so I race BMX a little bit more. Kind of still doing it, but then I end up going into. Um, like what am I gonna do with my career so I'm working at Albertsons and I'm kind of like all right where's this going I want to get promoted and it doesn't happen Mikey I don't get the position I want and I'm kind of bitter so I start looking for work outside of of Albertsons and I end up uh coming together with Coors Brewing Company and I become a Coors route salesman so now I'm working for Coors that I have a route in La Mirada and I'm having fun. It was a good job. And I'll, I'm still in the grocery industry, which I'm passionate for because of my dad did. And I'm like, this is awesome. Well, that turns into a promotion. And then I rolled out with our company, HL Distributing Company, we roll out a product called Snapple. We create what they call a non alcoholic division. And in that division, we start selling other things besides beer. We were selling Coors, Takati and Heineken, and different things. So here I am kind of running the sales division. And my nickname around my jet ski buddies was Snapple because I was always <laughs> drinking a Snapple. I had Snapple stickers and it just kind of, you know, was a good, was a good gig, had some management changes. And for one reason or another, I, I could not get along for the life of me with this one manager. And it's just, we were just salt and pepper. So he ends up, you know what I'm, proud to say he fired me. I got flat out fired. Um, and it was, I think it, there was a lot more to it and I won't bore this podcast with it, but he fired me. So whatever. So I'm at the time, I'm dating my wife today, Jody. This is, you know, back 27 years ago and I lose my job and I come home and I'm freaking happy. Like, all right, I got to figure something out. I got to do something. So I end up getting a job at Arizona ice Tea. As a regional manager, because I had Snapple experience, I knew the brand. I knew non—we called it non-alcoholic—and it was pretty chill. So I'm working for Arizona Iced Tea, and it's funny—they just launched an article. Thirty years later, Arizona is still 99 cents. That's what I rolled. I rolled that out. I had to go present I saw that that. To all my—I dis- had to present to all my distributors. But anyway, so I get a job at Arizona. I'm a regional manager. I manage a bunch of distributors. I've got. You know, my father knows a lot of these guys. I'm calling on key accounts and restaurants and, you know, all the supermarket chains. And, you know, my dad had a, an amazing name. So I'm even running the people that know my father, Mike, back in the day. So it was a great experience. But I just, I don't know. I, I went to New York 9 11, and that's a, that was a turning point in my life. I mean, I saw stuff. New Yorkers are strong people. And I was there when the planes crashed. And It changed my life. So at that time, I was really stuck. Like, what do I want to do? I want to work for corporate America and travel. Brett and Melanie were recently born. My wife's at home with these kids, Mike. And it was like, all right, this is not for me anymore. I lost my passion to work for that company. It tore me up inside. I got super fast riding my bike because it didn't work. I just rode my bike all the time. And I just fake everything I did for work. I worked at my home office, and it wasn't who I was because I'm a hard worker. My dad taught that to me. You know, I learned lessons from my father: work hard, be respectful. You know, don't say anything that's negative. And I, I learned a lot from my dad. I really did. And it yeah. wasn't right, so I left Arizona, took another job with another company internally. You know, marketing, sales, beverage, and uh, it sucked. It flat out sucked. Um, I hated it. No big deal. So now I'm absolutely miserable. Like I got to spend an hour and a half a day driving to work to a job. I hate to a company. I'm not into, I don't know what to do. And you know, yeah. God, God laid out a plan for me. I truly believe that. So I, I want to, I am like, want to do something for myself. I don't want to work in this area. I don't, I want to, I couldn't figure it out. I knew I still, I love bikes. Now I'm kind of racing jet skis and I'm into the bike scene again because I discovered mountain biking. So And road cycling. So this opportunity popped open and that's how I ended up where I was today. Mr. Campbell had his shops and, uh, it was time for him to get out. That's, it's another long story, but the opportunity came and I started talking with Mike or bud and we had some conversations and he approached me and, you know, a lot of respect for bud. Um, I said a few key things like, I don't want this to create problems with your family. Um, you know, we've been friends for a long time and you want to sell out, you know, I'm willing, but I don't want this to create, you know, hostility in in your lifestyle with your family and your nephews and your kids. And it all worked out, you know, so I bought Fullerton bikes in 2003 from Bud Campbell and, uh, had to borrow some money from mom, uh, had to put some collateral up. My mom put her house down. And when I told my wife and my mom what my plan was, uh, my wife looked at me like I was, you know, from a different country. (laughs) and uh you know my mom i was an only child she was a widow you know my father had been passed i lost my dad when i was 27 um you know she was concerned because you just you know people think of like oh it's a kid's thing right mikey it's like oh it's a bike how are you gonna you know like it's a bicycle it's a kid's toy it's not what it is and um you know looking forward it's been the the best the best 20 years of my life like The people I've met, the friends I've met, I wouldn't know you, dude. Like we're homies, right? PK, JT, Mark Helms, Elena. All these people that have come to my life have come to me through cycling. So that's kind of how I ended up at owning Fullerton Bikes. And then Bud was ready to retire completely. He made me an offer to buy Boy in the Park Bikes. I had proven myself. um, You know, hey, like I can I can kind of run a business and manage it. And he made me an offer to buy Boy in the Park. So I bought that. Fullerton was 2003, Buena Park was 2005. And then right before COVID, the e bike opportunity came available. And I had zero desire to go for the third store because I've been approached over the past couple of years like, hey, we're selling out. Are you interested? And, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot because I take so much pride in my business and I, I want everybody to love our business and I want to do everything right. And, be good not only to my customers but to my suppliers and you know i, I take a lot of pride in that and i remember that from my father um that was that was my gift is i care so to take the third store on was definitely a challenge but since it was right next door um I, I had i had to do it you know and yeah i love the i love and mike you know this because i know you work hard and you take passion in your job and we've had some great conversations over the years but yeah. you know owning a business is not easy. Because yeah. it never goes away. And even though you and I have that engraved love for bicycles, we also have an engraved love for our families and our, what we do, it's our job. And that isn't something you can buy, it's something you've inherited from a family member. It's in your DNA. And, you know, with those, that being said, we carry a lot of weight on our shoulders, you know, and, and when my store gets broken yeah. in at two o'clock in the morning, or that customer leaves a bad Yelp review, you know, that hurts. And, um, you know, we've experienced some very dark days and some hard times in the bike industry. As you know, I've talked to you about it years ago, you know, Um, it's not been easy, but you know, things have definitely changed. I learned so much during the darkest days of my business ownership that have been able to put me, I think in a better spot as a better owner mentally i'm a smarter person and i've listened to people like yourself and jt has been a you know been been a rock for me during
2: some dark days and i'm grateful yeah yeah wow that so i just learned a bunch of stuff there that i wasn't aware of but yeah man that's uh that to me that's one of the great things about our industry is uh you know not all not everybody you meet Has the same passion, right? Some people, sure. uh, It's it's obvious when you meet somebody that's in the business, and it's really they're just there, they're just doing a job, and they're just collecting a check, and it's like, um, yeah, it's unfortunate because there's so there's so many people that the bicycle, the bicycle and the bicycle business is something that they're just super passionate about, and they care so much for it on every every aspect, every little element of it is important and so um yeah it's it, it, it and i know that 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 lives in you because of like you say the conversations we've had over the years and and uh yeah i can't imagine like i know my job's pretty all-encompassing uh i do feel like uh you know i'm never off you know like for right. sure but i can't imagine if i had my own if i had my own store man uh just the websites the Staff, I know you do a great job keeping your staff uh, super stoked and and uh, happy to be a part of your your deal, and uh, and then all the clients. You know, I was just at Sea Otter, and uh, <clears throat> it was the first uh, first Sea Otter I'd been to in a couple of years. You know, right? And and I was just reconnected with so many people from the business that are like you, you know, just super passionate people that. Uh, you know, there's this brotherhood when you, you know, get, you get around and um, yeah, it was just so great that like Seattle really felt uh, like it was something special this year to me. Whereas, I mean, I wouldn't say in the past, it didn't feel special, but there's definitely a right. way different this year. Just getting reconnecting with everybody after what we've been through these last couple of years, you know, it's just been very challenging.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Like if you take, you know, like, remember interbike like i used i could care less about purchasing product at interbike i used to love to go there just to run into my bmx homies that used to you know I mean, like there's a special family that i think the cycling community has and we all we are all brothers and sisters in that community you know and i just look at you know like talk you mentioned a point like i've talked to you i've already had two text messages from customers about bikes you know like so and I think you and I are still so much alike because I know your son is an avid cyclist as well. So yeah. put your wife and your daughter in that situation. How's the dinner? The, the, you know, the Mike comes over for dinner at five o'clock and what's that conversation about? You're asking yourself, yeah. hey, how far did you boost it today? And, you know, your wife's <laughs> like, can we talk about something else? And you're uh-huh. like, you know, it's just, you know And I mean? That's been my family, you know, and I'm and I, sure I give my wife a hard time, but I'm grateful that she supported me. Um, yeah, you know, Brent, my son, uh, he wants to take over the business. My daughter is, she's God bless her. She's off in Hawaii. She's going to be getting her degree. She's graduating this year. I couldn't be more proud of her. Um, she's driven, but she could care less about the bicycle. My son, (laughs) you know, he grew up racing BMX and we had that conversation. Like he was over BMX and I, I want him to be the next, you know, Eddie King, Greg Hill. And I'm sad (laughs) as a parent. But I had to say to Brent, like, Brent, I love you, but if you don't want to do BMX anymore, that is on you. That's your decision. If you're a 12-year-old kid or 11-year-old. I'll support you, but if you don't want to do it, don't do it for me. Don't do it for Mike or mom or dad or Fullerton Bikes. Do it for Brent Franzi. And I think that was kind of a turning point for my son um, because he, he realized, like, he didn't have to make me proud. He already did. And, you know, that's when Brent, I watched Brent transition from this BMX kid, soccer kid, and he kind of found the endurance side and this mountain bike sport. And then he did that himself. And I I pride myself in his accomplishments because I don't know a lot of kids his age that make that sacrifice to put in the miles and the effort to become an XC endurance rider type kid because he sacrificed. He sacrificed. All the stuff young kids love to do today for the love of the bicycle. And that's on Brent, not on me. And my wife and I, like you, Mike, we supported him hundred percent and we gave him the ability. You know, he's still a punk. I still want to beat his ass every day. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> and discipline
0: him. Age. But
1: at the right, he, you know,
2: he is not a punk. That is a fine young man. And you guys have done great, great with him. And you know, I've had the good opportunity to to ride with him to hang out with him and and uh yeah, yeah. he is not a punk <laughs> he's a far let me let you, thing from a park uh, maybe let he might be different fro- around weekend. you yeah, yeah
1: there you go yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you know I, I work with him every day and it, it's good it's fun i get frustrated but i still have to remember he's only in his 20s you know he's not 35 years old you know and it's it's yeah. interesting but you know then you talked about my daughter and like it's funny we have you know the two stores and in, in the living will my daughter's like I get one shop and Brent you get the other one and they argue about who's going to get what shop I'm like <laughs> you guys you guys have no idea man <laughs> right but you know
0: well uh, one thing uh, you just said that uh, hit hit home with me was uh, and how important and and we've never really talked about parenting uh, going through uh you know going through our cycling history and then having a kid and dealing with them in a different way, or that maybe we were dealt with. Uh, everybody's you know, upbringing is different. Um, but by you giving your 12-year-old the blessing to say it's okay to change, that is huge, man. Because I, I was bred as this soccer player, the next big thing as uh, going through high school ball. And uh, my dad was huge on, you're gonna get a college scholarship. And when I found in 1985 cycling and bicycle racing, the soccer went out the door and I got to tell you, it was not smooth. It was not smooth. And, uh, you know, it it was a rough ride for a couple of three years for him to to get on board. And so for, to have your dad's blessing or a family member's blessing that now all of a sudden uh, they support you and not giving you dirty looks when you're heading out the door to do your new sport. That's huge.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I had a situation with my, with my son where uh, he was playing basketball for the high school team and uh, they had a great, great coach and they were doing all kinds of really cool stuff, you know, but you had to be at that gym at 5am every day. And so, um, and if you're late, the door's locked. So you're there at at 5am or you don't, you know, you just wasted your whole morning to do nothing. So my son went through freshman ball. And they had a great run. They even beat there's a big powerhouse here called De La Salle. And they beat De La Salle at De La Salle, which is unheard of. And so the the, it was a very exciting thing to be a part of, you know, this thing. And the coach was amazing. But coming sophomore year, he didn't want to go. They have like early camp, early training, you know, and he's like, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going. And the coach was calling the house all the time and I just he's like, hey, can you put him on the phone? Mm -hmm. So I I said, hey, Will, it's Coach. He wants to talk to you. Mm -hmm. He's like, Dad, (laughs) and I was just like, well, you got to talk to him, you know. So he got on the phone. I listened to him tell the story, and it was like, oh man, you know, there's like a little part of my heart just went, you know, just breaking (laughs) uh, as he's explaining to Coach, like, yeah, I'm kind of over it. I've, you know, and this and that, but. You know, he, he, of course, was way into bikes and that was part of his decision. But, you know, but uh, there, uh yeah, it's it's hard when, you know, like your dad, Bo, you know, he he had this vision, you know, and I didn't really have a vision as it relates to basketball other than it was fun. And he was learning so much and he was getting really good at basketball. And it was just kind of fun to see this progression outside of the bike because the bike's been everything for us, you know, and so for him to do something different and then you know the team sport dynamic. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. And even though cycling is a team sport, uh, you kind of lone wolfing it most of the time uh, unless the lower you're on levels, a real yeah 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 especially lower level yeah and unless you get on a real good structured situation. So I, I saw a lot of benefit to the team dynamic and um, yeah. But you know I, ultimately I told him I said you know I was I was proud of him for for take to having that conversation with his coach as hard as it was that's a tough thing to do. You know, you're letting somebody down. And, but you know, sometimes in life, that's what you have to do to move on with your life. And, and so I was really proud of him for that moment, uh, as hard as it was, but, um, yeah, opening the door for your kid to, to do what they want to do. Uh, that's a big one for sure. Yeah, I definitely would agree. You know, and I think as parents,
1: a lot of us, you know, we, we want to live through our children because, and we've all seen that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to acknowledge and realize, you know, your kid's DNA may not be your DNA. And yeah. you have to, you know, and I've, I've seen it as a dad and we've all seen it and we've all made our mistakes. We're not perfect parents. And, you know, I remember my daughter raced BMX and I couldn't be happier. And I just saw, I, I forced her to race and she took a crash and broke her thumb and you know, it was, that was a humbling experience for, for dad, you know, taking his daughter to the emergency room with a broken thumb because I wanted her to race. You know, I wanted her to right. get the state champion. You know, so anyway, um, but it's, it's, it's who we are today and it's, and it's helped groom our children to be good kids. It's helped groom us to be good parents. And I think we come from the same pool once again where our parents instilled some of that into us, you know, different yeah. times. But at the end of the day, it all comes from your surroundings.
2: Well, it was interesting when you were explaining your dad, um, like those, the way you were describing him, that's how I would describe you. So <laughs> stop it. He, you know, I'm serious. And I think everybody would. As a matter of fact, at Sea Otter, uh, there was a customer. Uh, I had a problem with his bike, you know, and, and he lives up here, but he bought his bike from you. And uh, he had all these really nice things to say about you. And then, uh, after I get done with the, and, and this is a, this is a person that has a legitimate issue with, with the bike. We were able to settle it for him at Sea Otter, I believe. But, but anyway, um, the, after I get done with this guy and, uh, it was a very good conversation, uh, in spite of the problem he's having. And, um, and then I, I talked to two other people from Southern California and they're like, Oh, you know, not bikes. I go, do I know <laughs> what the bikes? Are you kidding me? And uh, That's my boy and they're like, oh Franzi, oh man, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was just like all this love. It was just it, it, and it's like pretty consistent. Every time I meet somebody that knows you, your shop, anything going on, Brent, uh, it's all it's all love and uh, appreciation for you guys. So you're doing That's it awesome. you're doing it right. Yeah. I try. I try. Yeah, I don't.
1: I fumble a lot. Let me tell you. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, it, it's who it's who I am. It's my legacy. You know, it's it's what I live for. And um, you know, I'm like yeah. I said. I've said this many many times. I'm grateful for what the cycling community has brought me. And you know, I probably would have made a lot more money at Arizona IST. But <laughs> at the end of the day, the the friendships and the relationships and and what Fullerton Bikes has been to me and you know, that it, it's, it's priceless. And to think I've done this for 20 years, Um, I just look back and I'm like, my vision of what Fullerton bikes, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but I know it's become a, a pretty staple bike shop. I would have never guessed that it would become what it's become today. Looking back when I bought it 20 years ago, my vision was so much different and just, you know, I take it like I go to the Giant Link. I'm almost 100% guaranteed there's not another bike shop owner that's been to all the links except for me. Like who would yeah. have ever guessed that, you know? Um, I've survived. I've been loyal to Giant, as you well know. But that's yeah. a great feeling. And I know Giant Bicycles, and this is in the podcast about Giant, but I know I'm respected at your organization.
0: And that's a great yeah. feeling
1: because it's a, it's a feeling of accomplishment and it makes me know, like, my hard work and my dedication to the community, and proving to Giant and everybody that I can be a good shop. Um, I think it says a
2: lot, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so, well, when's uh, when's Shop Four happening? Didn't you, you didn't pay attention to what I said, man?
1: <laughs> I told you, <laughs> I I didn't want Shop Three, and I'm definitely not gonna do Shop Four, bro. I'm done. I'm getting okay. old. Look at look at look at the gray. Look at the <laughs> bald spot yeah. that didn't come from you know trying to stand on my head
2: i got those too man you got i still i don't have a you still He bald got the spot, lettuce still
0: definitely
2: definitely great look at that, look at that hair lettuce yeah no doubt so, well uh, so, so we we've, we've talked a little bit about e-bikes on this on this podcast and uh you know e-bikes it, it's uh interesting the e-bike and you know, those of us in the bike industry, we thank God every day for the e bike because it has really Ooh. resurrected our business in a very significant way. But, um, what's it do you find it, you know, having a just a dedicated e bike store? Do you find I'm curious because some shops that, that are successful think that they want to have an e bike store instead sure. of having the e bikes in their store? Uh, they, uh, so do you find that the e-bike store pulls a different type of client in, or are you just basically servicing, you know, the same clientele just at a different location? Uh, part A of
1: your conversation is 110% on the button. It is a different customer. It's different clientele. Some of those customers that purchase e-bikes, Mikey, I would have, they would never even step foot in Fullerton bikes. It is different people, different dynamics. Everything is different. And, uh, interesting. Absolutely, the thing you have to remember about an e-bike, and I tell this so much to people, is, or you know guys like us in the industry, it's not yeah. your consumer that you might be selling that giant rain to or that TCR. You have to take that hat off and put your hands in or you know become that person and understand what they're trying to accomplish and what they want. It's a different custom. so that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is. You know, your customer, they do more research. It's electronics. They're a smarter, cu- not that the other bike customers are not smarter, but they're going to have some more detailed questions. And they start asking about watts and power and battery and longevity and, you know, kilowatt. That, the questions are different. So, and a lot of that stuff, you know, you fake it till you make it, it doesn't work. So you need to be right. cognizant of, of of the terminology and what is an 84-newton-meter motor equal and a 400 watt power battery and, and blah, blah, blah. So – it is different, but I worked at the e-bike store last week, and it's very rewarding because we know we're doing good by these customers, and we're going to watch them progress and get on a bike, and maybe they couldn't ride a bike, or they, you know, they're overweight, and they got bad knees, and all these different elements. So we're still resurrecting people to bicycles. It's just a different type of bicycle. And yeah. if you look at our numbers and our revenue and different things, the e-bikes are now out selling regular bike by revenue because they're more expensive um yeah. but yesterday i sold so in three days saturday friday saturday and monday i think i sold seven or eight e-bikes and e-bikes of all sorts they weren't just giant rains and you know the giant roams and talons we sold you know some commuter bikes by other brands we sold a lot of e-bikes and Something that I had this conversation with John Munhall, and I had it with JT as well, and I think even Carson was in on the call, was, and Mark Helms and I have talked about this many times, is now we're seeing kids want e-bikes. Yeah. Because good and bad, you know, like you and I grew up, we pedaled. <laughs> and we spent yeah. for 20 minutes to get home, right? We already That's had that right. Yeah. But mom and dad have an e-bike junior can't keep up on his XTC chasing mom and dad down the boardwalk on an e-bike. You know what I'm saying? So we're seeing that and we're seeing in some of these cool communities, especially South orange County at four o'clock, the kids are out of school. They're all ripped around their neighborhood on their super 73s and their e-bikes. You know what I mean? Like that's what we did when we were kids, they were just BMX or Schwinn varsities. So I think that's a good takeaway. Um, Education needs to be an important part of e-bikes. The infrastructure of cities and communities need to be on board because we are seeing more people commute, especially in this stupid, crazy world with gas at $12 a gallon. We are seeing people turn to e-bikes. I think your wife, I've seen photos of the dog. You got the freaking pack yak, bro. That's one of the greatest bikes ever invented. Uh, I know. But like, like, that's a... That is a way of life for a lot of people. You know, if you live in certain communities, you could just have an e-bike and put the pack gap to use and go to the grocery store and go to the dry cleaners and pick up your Starbucks. Like that is rad. I get so pumped when I see that. So they're great. And I think for a bicycle retailer, the guy that walks in your store looking for an e-bike would not necessarily walk into your store if it was, you know what I mean? Like they're going to go to the e-bike store only. And I can prove that time and time and time again. That customer yeah. could
2: give a crap about
1: Fullerton regular bikes.
2: They want to go into the e-bike store. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, recently uh, you mentioned Munhall. So John Munhall is like a, a product, global product manager for Giant. And uh, he, he came to my market with a couple of dudes from the Netherlands. I think he they they came down you south. Too. Yes. Yes, yeah. they did. And we went, we went to lunch and we were talking about the bike business in the Netherlands. And, uh, they, he said the, one of the engineers there, he's a global product engineer for giant e-bikes. And he was yep. saying that in the Netherlands, the bike shops are all, all they're all only e-bikes. You can actually Dang. order, you can, you can order a regular acoustic bike if you want, but if you go to a bike shop in the Netherlands, it, you're only going to find e-bikes on the floor. And they're not, they don't identify themselves as e-bike stores. They're just, you know, Bob's bikes. bikes or whatever. Yeah, they're just a bike shop. But inside, the only thing that's in there are e-bikes. And now, uh, well, he was at, he asked me if I thought it would ever get that way here. And you know
1: uh, we joke, Mike. And we do, we joke, you know, and, and Mark will say it often. You have three e-bike stores, Mike. You know, and I mean yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, and, yes and no. And I think it's it's different here because in the netherlands you know cycling is cultural cycling is the nba you know you got yeah. vanderpool and these guys that are just superheroes in their countries we don't have that, yep. and we never will but our infrastructure here needs to improve before e-bikes completely get to that point but i think there's going to be a time and place where you're going to see a bike shop and an e-bike store and it makes sense because it's different customers different community is a different person and the guys that come yeah. to fullerton bikes and Buena park, they may never ever step foot in an e bike store, it's not what they want, so it's a fine line. But for me, as a business owner, the e bike store works. And my manager, Dave, and my employees there I don't have a lot, but they're e bike, they get they know the lingo, they know the terminology, they are e bike specialists. Um, and that they're not faking anything, they know it and they understand it, right. and they ride them. And that is crucial because they talk the e-bike lingo. You know, you and I can talk the revolt lingo. We can talk all that. They talk the e-bike lingo.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it is really interesting. Like the bike industry, you know, uh, there's so many um, things that someone who works in a bike shop has to know. And then uh, just to be a, a basic employee, you know, you have to have a wealth of knowledge in a lot of different areas. Pre e bike, and now you throw this e- this very not complicated, but it's a, it's a very different structure to it. And uh, and now you're expecting these these kids that you're training, you know, to be knowledgeable on it. And there's an app, and there's like a service, you know, there's all kinds of platforms. <laughs> there's a lot that like right. It's already it was already like information overload for somebody you're training, and then now you add this whole other thing. Uh, which makes it very challenging, I know I spend a big, a great deal of my time doing e bike clinics at my better retailers, you know just to i 'm doing one uh, today at ten o 'clock i 'm doing one tomorrow in uh, you know down in uh, Fresno and i 'm doing one on friday i mean it 's like right. it 's a big part of what I do now is just trying to educate these because in the bike shops, most of the time the bike shops are full of bicycle people not necessarily e-bike, e-bike people to your point. And so, um, you know, as, a as, uh, an outside rep for them, I need to do everything I can to help them get up to speed so they can carry those conversations because they're spending a lot more time talking about e-bikes uh, than they ever have. And uh, they need to be up on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the most important things, and I've, we've done this, so I'm going to speak of knowledge and accomplishment is I've had my e-bike companies, I've had Giant, I've had Santa Cruz, some other guys come to my shop on Saturday at five o'clock, and we'll take six or seven of my employees and we go out and we go for a ride. That yeah. changes everything because right. it is so much freaking fun and everybody's equal. No different. If I come up to your area and you and I go for a road ride, you're selling me off the back, bro. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm off the Peloton, I'm sucking wind. We go on e-bikes. <laughs> now the guy that's fat and slow like myself. He can hang and you, you know, you might have great skills descending or on the single track, but God's darn it going up the hill. You're going to smoke him. So now it's an equalizer. So that's the yeah. first thing that happens on the e-bike. The second thing is, you know, and what it is, what it is, you know, people are overweight. They've ate too many cheeseburgers. They drink too many sodas, but now climbing up that mountain doing a thousand foot climb to descend three minutes, a single track doesn't hurt as much. You know, your knees right. don't hurt. Your back doesn't hurt. You're not, your heart's not pounding out of your heart. How many times, you know, have we seen riders get mountain bikes or road bikes and they think they're killing it and you see them on the trail and you drop that guy like a sack of potatoes. Like it's embarrassing. So I get that whole aspect, but it's awesome (coughs) that the e-bike can be an equalizer. The other thing that is so crucial about e-bikes and I'm going to say it again is education and trail etiquette because the people yeah. that aren't riding an e-bike, the hiker, the horseback rider on the trail, they just assume these e-bikes go 120 miles an hour. And I've heard them say it. Oh, the guy can't them. They don't go 100 miles an hour. They're, they're, yeah. they're governed and whatever. But, you know, there's, it's facade. It's like, oh, these e-bikes do this and do that. No, they don't. They're not destroying the trails. They're good. But be respectful. Ride them. Enjoy them on their bicycles, you know. And it, the future is there. We're seeing it. And I know talking to your management team like this is a structure for giant you're a global transportation company and yeah i'm excited to see some of the stuff that's coming from you guys that i've got some wins on and when i talked to john and all those guys from holland that came over i mean these guys are creating what we see today and we hit them hard and they saw it firsthand in my e-bike store what that consumer wants and um it's going to be game-changing down the road
2: continuously yeah well you know um i always you know i always have this take on anybody that's not into e-bikes they just haven't ridden one Cause, exactly because and you know you see it with the type a hammerhead uh people you know that i identify with you know like absolutely the the, the the type a hammerhead is the one that's hating on the e-bike the most and it's just like i i diffuse it all the time i just be like have you even ridden one you got to go try it because it's fun you know what? it's just that and simple
1: that's, it's the word fun that's what people forget you yeah. and i and 90 percent of people out there aren't making a living riding a bicycle and that's yeah. fine because i love the bike and i still pedal my regular bike but yeah the e-bike is fun and who are we to judge what somebody else wants to do right
2: right yeah that guy wants
1: to drive hey, a horse
2: a- let him drive it i just feel like hey you're out there outside on two wheels Riding a bike, and the I go care less if it has a motor or not. Just you're exactly. out there doing it. It's awesome. Yeah. So well, so here's a funny comment about e-bikes. Somebody said to me a couple
1: of days ago, um, "What if Tesla makes an e-bike?" I mean, well, you know, if, I think that's great. Let Elon buy Twitter and let him build an e-bike. I don't care because <laughs> yeah. think about how much yeah. and his bikes are going to be so eccentric and it's not going to appeal to everybody, and not even our yeah. consumer because it's probably going to be seventy five thousand dollars. It's going to go for 17 days and have some freakazoid-looking bike, but yeah. you know, a, a rising sea floats all ships. You get guys like Toyota or Honda or Yamaha or Tesla into the e-bike market. It's going to create more awareness. They have more power, yeah. more money to get in front of legislation and do things that are going to benefit what we do. People know bikes as bike companies. They don't know Tesla as a bike company. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Porsche try bikes years ago? And they failed. Oh, yeah. It's yep. a, you, know, you, you only do what you do good. And I learned that at Arizona ice Tea. Mr. Voltaggio was a brilliant man. And he was known for green tea. That's still his number one. He tried to do chips and salsa. And he tried all these different things. And he failed. Because you can only do one or two things good. Let Elon do what he does. Let Giant do what he does. Because we will be the force. And people will be more in tune to have knowledge Based upon all of these people coming in, and if you look at the e bike market, and I hate to be discriminatory towards a company, but prior to giant and trek and specialized diving in, high bike was the number one mountain bike on e bikes yeah, where are they today they're right. out of the united States they're done
2: yep, yeah, because no doubt you know what yeah, it's so hard to compete the uh but yeah, and to your point the the bigger the pie gets, the better it's going to be for all of us. And, and especially with that legislation component, which is so important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So uh, thanks for everything that you've shared. Mike has been great. We, uh, we, we love talking bicycles, but we also have a pop culture uh, thing that we like to do with our guests. Just to kind of see where you land on some of these other things that we haven't talked oh, about. Boy. All right. Yeah. Let's oh yeah. It. So buckle up, buddy. Uh, okay. No wrong answer. Whatever. It's all good. Hip hop or rock and roll? Rock and roll, baby. Okay. Country or blues? Country. Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Neither. (laughs) Really? No. I'm I'm going to go with the Beatles, bro. Beatles. Okay. All right. Uh, How about ACDC or U2?
1: No, I'm the biggest U2 fan ever. I'm at Bono and the story.
2: Uh, I know I knew that about you That's what uh, I was happy to share that with you. Okay Bruno Mars or Taylor Swift Neither I don't listen to either
1: But I'll go Taylor
2: Okay <laughs> uh, Okay romantic comedy or action
1: Action Yeah uh,
2: Die Hard or
1: Shawshank Redemption Oh Shawshank's one of my favorites of all time That movie can't be
2: beat It's such a great movie so Shawshank bro I agree uh, Talladega Nights or Hangover? Oh man, Hangover. Okay, uh, De Niro or Denzel? No,
1: De Niro, man. Well, neither. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, 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 I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. De Niro. He's Italian. Godfather. Okay, that's my that's my father, bro. My dad. My dad could right. win the De Niro look contest. Is that right? He was uh, the big hairy chest, the gold chains, the big sideburns. Right. Oh yeah. True Italian, nice.
2: baby. All right. Holly Berry or Jennifer Aniston? Uh, Jennifer. Okay. Baseball Friends. or basketball? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah.
1: Woo-hoo! Well, I'm going to go with
2: uh, – uh, I'm a Laker fan. Kobe. Oh, oh, man. Okay, Kobe, yes. All right. Uh, football or soccer? Soccer. Okay, offense or defense? Offense. Mm -hmm. I find the people that are into bikes, we're into offense. Uh, Steph Curry or LeBron? Yeah, be careful on this one. Okay, my man. Yes, yes. All right. uh, Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers? Brett. Okay, sixties or eighties?
1: Eighties, baby. Come on.
2: Uh, Carol Q K M E
1: T K N A C. Vans tennis shoes, the '80s, bro. Oh, you got me on Vans. Yeah, that's Block good. Block of seagulls. Block of. Come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I Howard Jones. A story.
0: Uh-huh. Howard
1: Jones. I can go uh-huh. for
2: hours. Challenge uh-huh. me on an '80s song, you lose. Really? I'm okay. Maybe can... ne- maybe next podcast we'll go we'll go deep dive we'll play some music. We'll play some music and I'll, I'll name the brands. All right, hot or cold? Hot. <clears throat> Okay, go ahead, Bo. You got it. You got one you want to throw in there for uh, a
0: couple? Yeah, I, I guess I could do one. Let's see. How about, since you're from L.A., Southern California area, why don't we go, uh, let's see, The Doors or The Beach Boys?
1: Probably, that's a, that's a 60,
2: 40, 40, 60. You know, <laughs> um, probably The Beach Boys. They just sing happy music. You know, when I think of L.A. music, it's all about the Chili Peppers, man. I don't think there you there's go. anything even close, right? That's, that's chili a good Peppers. One. Oh, I love the Chili Peppers. So wait a minute. All wait right. a
1: minute. You didn't, you didn't ask the question. Flats or clips? <laughs> We're BMXers. How about how about acoustic or electric? That there's something be to be said about it. There's something to be said about acoustic. So we'll go there. Oh, yeah. Okay, good, man. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, hey right, it's great, it great to hear all your your killer bmx stories and stuff and and uh i know that that's a uh, right up mike sally you guys could go old school bmx for like like have your own podcast about that probably oh my god <laughs> that would we, be amazing we, we probably
1: could yeah <laughs> we probably could i just got so. invited to do a, a mike miranda and eric carter have a podcast coming out and they hit me up to talk on it we have a great relationship so that'll be a awesome. bmx podcast will be cool
2: yeah so S- send us awesome. that link i would love to listen to that yeah. absolutely well you've had an amazing uh bicycle life mike and uh, i'm proud to call you a friend thanks for joining us and yeah. uh we'll see we'll see you out there buddy i appreciate it thanks for having me on it's an honor you know
1: you're one of my top fives that uh i'm just blessed <laughs> that we're friends and uh thanks for taking take in my son on that big ride last year uh we're gonna have to start getting on his ass again and get him going, but it's all good.
0: Yeah, love you guys.
2: <laughs> all right, yeah, right. love you too, buddy.
0: Hey, thanks Take a lot. All right. all right, thanks yeah, for bye. joining us, everybody. We'll see you on next week's podcast on Second Jerks.